0: an analysis of the assault that our children are facing, the culture in which we're living, the culture in which those of you who are younger are growing up, is marked by vanity and is marked by flattery and it's marked by blasphemy. You start getting your eyes open to it and how Jesus Christ is calling you to be different from it and reaches out to you as Savior in it.
1: Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, last time we were looking at the culture in which our children and grandchildren are growing up and hearing about the dangers inherent in that.
0: There's an enormous assault on our young people today, and Psalm 12 describes it in an extraordinarily accurate way. Talking about vanity, everyone speaks emptiness to his neighbor. You think about all the talk that goes on and how much of it really is empty and about nothing of substance. And then this whole business of flattery, how easy it is for any of us to gather a little circle of people around us who say what we want to hear. So we live in this little bubble of self-deception and then blasphemy, which we spoke about and uh, which we're going to hear about today. And the question is, with all of this, that's coming into the lives of our kids and being dumped on them. Where's the hope? And how are we to pray for our kids? And what does it mean to stand with them? Well, that's where the Psalm takes us and that's where we're headed today.
1: So we're going right there to Psalm 12 as we continue our message, how to pray when you fear for your children. Here's Colin.
0: Flattery, saying what you think other people want to hear and only hearing what you want other people to say just becomes the the common language of our culture, and it is Satan's second great tool of deception, because if you only hear what you want other people to say, then you will never see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And this desire for just say what we want to hear, it runs very, very deep, and it even affects the Christian church, you know, You know, in the New Testament, Paul says in the last times, one of the ways you'll know it's the last times is more and more people will gather teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. You'll be familiar with that. You might be less familiar with the Old Testament version of the same statement, which is so striking. It's in Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 9 through 11. And what's so striking here is that this is to Israel, so it speaks directly to the people of God and so has an application to the church today at least. And look at how deep the desire for flattery runs here. He speaks about children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. And so they say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy what is right. Here's what they say, speak to us, smooth things, and let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Now, our children are growing up in a culture where increasingly even in church, many around our country are saying we want to hear smooth things, and not so much about the Holy One of Israel. And remember that Jesus said, "The distinctive work of the Holy Spirit is going to be to convince us of sin." Well, that's not a smooth thing. And to convince us of righteousness and judgment, nothing smooth there, so that the light may be shone on Jesus Christ, and we'll come to him because we understand our need of Him. And there won't be much of that. There won't be much of the work of the Holy Spirit that leads to real life change that comes through flattering ministries that say smooth things and stroke egos by saying what people want to hear, not much about the Holy One of Israel. What happens increasingly where the church goes down that road is that a generation of kids who have been brought up in church come into adulthood, and actually they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Why? Because they've been brought up not on truth, but on a diet of smooth things and not the Holy One of Israel. There's no sense of being a sinner, no sense of needing a Savior, no sense of engaging with the eternal, just smooth things about how great you are and what your potential and your capacity is. That's a tragedy, because that's how Satan blinds the minds of people, to the reality of gospel truth and the glory of Jesus Christ. And you know what this desire for flattery, once it is fed, it becomes a powerful addiction. And you all know people who are like this, and it's a tragic situation to get into the endless hunger for the smooth talk of only affirmation, and it leads to a person being locked in this prison house incapable of hearing anything else. And as with any other addiction, they can never get enough. And the more this person is affirmed, addicted to affirmation, the more and more desperate they are for more and more and more of it, and the more and more blind they become to the realities of their own sin and and therefore of the glories of Jesus Christ, who somehow remains at a complete and utter distance because they have chosen to be at a distance from Him. So, this is the world in which we live, folks. Satan's brands of lies to blind people to the truth. This is the world in which our kids are growing up and This is why we're concerned for them, why we need a prayer for them, It's surrounded by vanity and by flattery. and, And here's the third one, by blasphemy. That's verse four. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Now, this is the brand of lies that has a kind of clenched fist to it. And you'll recognize this one too. This is the one that says, it's my life and I'm going to decide what's right for me. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm going to be my own lord and my own savior and my own master and my own guide. And the right word to describe that is blasphemy. Because blasphemy, I just looked up the dictionary to check it, and Miriam Webster says, blasphemy is the act of insulting or showing contempt for God. It is the act of claiming the attributes of deity. In other words, it is attempting to put yourself in the place of God, which is exactly what Satan did before the beginning of time and what he tried to co-opt Eve to join him in doing. You can be like God, he said to her in the Garden of Eden. And so here is the third brand of this awful deception that Satan tries to work. Vanity, get you just absorbed and awashed in everything that's about nothing. In the trivia of day-to-day life, so you never really think flattery, built-up kind of self-image that's just reinforced by people around you saying what you want to hear, and everything else being shut out, and putting yourself in the place of God, the ultimate blasphemy in which you become the Lord and the attempted Savior of, of your own life. He's always doing this. Do you know He even tried it on the Son of God? Tried it. Vanity. Vanity. Here you are seeking God in prayer and fasting. Why don't you just think of yourself in the immediate and uh, turn these stones into bread? Flattery. You know, you could make an amazing impression on people. Suppose you were to stand on the pinnacle of the temple and then just float down. I mean, everyone would say, think what people would say about you then. You'd have such a fan club. Imagine that on Twitter, right? Blasphemy. You can have the whole world just bow down and worship me. Think about Jesus Christ on the cross, and He's hanging there. Why is He hanging there? What's going on while He's hanging there? See what He's surrounded by. Vanity, flattery, and blasphemy. Vanity, the Son of God, is bearing the sins of the world. And what are sinners doing? They're gambling on the floor beside him over a a piece of clothing that they don't want to tear. Flattery. Pilate, a judge charged with justice, finds no fault in Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong, but he hands him over to be scourged, lashed, crucified. Why? Because he wanted to please the people. Blasphemy. The Son of God is on a cross because in their hearts the people have said, we will not have this man to rule over us. He says he is a king. We have no king but Caesar. And there he is on the cross and on the third day, he rises from the dead, and he's Lord over vanity, and he's Lord over flattery, and he's Lord over blasphemy, and he's able to deliver you from all of these prisons. That's why Paul says, I was a blasphemer, I was a violent man, but I was shown mercy. Encounter with this Jesus Christ who's able to break a person out of this trivial world or the self-absorbed world, or this blasphemous world, and to bring you into the power of a new life that will be an eternal life, and entirely different from everything that is in the world around you. So, that's an analysis, and I said we'd spend by far the, the, the largest amount of time on this because it's so important, and it's the main part of the psalm, an analysis of the assault of that our children are facing, the culture in which we're living, the culture in which those of you who are younger are growing up, and it's marked by vanity, and it's marked by flattery, and it's marked by blasphemy. You start getting your eyes open to it, and how Jesus Christ is calling you to be different from it, and reaches out to you as Savior in it.
1: You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the second part of our message, How to Pray When You Fear for Your Children. It's the fourth message in our series, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And if you've missed any of the series, please feel free to go back and listen again or catch up on our website, that's openthebible.org.uk. Also available as a podcast, go to your favorite podcast site, Search for Open the Bible UK and subscribe to receive regular updates. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, and this month if you are able to begin supporting Open the Bible in that way, we would love to thank you by sending you Alistair Begg's book, The Christian Manifesto. That's our offer to you if you can set up a new payment to Open the Bible this month. Full details on our website. Back to the message now, here's Colin.
0: And then the last thing I just want us to see here is then the strategy for prayer and for action. We began by saying, here we are, parents, grandparents, and we're concerned. We see the pressures on our kids. What hope is there for them when they're swimming in all of this stuff? And let me just give you this encouragement in these last moments. Here's the first. God listens. This is a prayer. And Psalm 12 is David moved by the Holy Spirit, praying for this and future generations. We need to pray for our kids, and Psalm 12 is an encouragement to do that. We need to pray for our kids as parents. We need to pray for our kids as grandparents. We need to pray for our kids in the home. We need to pray for our kids in the church. We need to pray for our kids and go on praying for our kids— I know at least one group in the church of several couples who have been meeting together to pray for their kids for 30 years. They're obviously onto their grandkids now. And they've seen some wonderful answers to prayer. And they've got some heavy burdens on their heart that they're still interceding about. Find some other friends who will pray for your kids. And you pray for their kids and make a covenant in regards to that. Let's pray for each other's kids, each other's grandkids. Let's do this together. You don't have children of your own. Connect with some younger people and become a prayer partner, an aunt and uncle, as it were, a spiritual mentor to someone. Connect with a family and become part of praying for for their children. Engage in some area that relates to youth ministry. Get behind praying for someone who is teaching and directly influencing younger people. Let's take seriously that we are called in the Scripture to pray and that God listens when we pray with regards to our children. And then the second thing is that God speaks. Here's this wonderful encouragement. Not only does God listen to us, but God is capable of speaking to them. Verse 6, the words of the Lord. It kind of springs out after all this uh, lies. Now we're being told the words of the Lord are pure words. They're like silver refined in the furnace on the ground, purified seven times over. In a world of lies, there is such a thing as truth. And there is nothing vain in the Bible, nothing flattering in the Bible. The Bible is not blasphemous. The Bible is the very Word of God, and it's pure. And it will never deceive you, and you can trust what God says to you. It is of supreme value, silver that is refined seven times. And it is through His Word that God brings light. Remember, everything's dark in the beginning, and God says, let there be light, and there was light. And when Satan brings this darkness to human minds, what does God do? While you read a couple of verses forward in 2 Corinthians 4, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has caused the light to shine into our hearts, giving us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The entrance of God's Word gives light. So I want to give this encouragement to all parents and to grandparents and for us as a church Get the Word of God in the formative years of your children as much as you can into their lives. That's why it's so wonderful to have younger people in the service and engaged in ministries in the church, and to have families that are serious about reading something from the Bible at home on a regular basis, and to have youth ministers and youth lay leaders who are seriously committed to saying, if we're going to see life change in a world of trivia, then the dominant note of youth ministry cannot be trivia. The dominant youth, uh, youth ministry, which must always be wonderfully fun, nonetheless must be the pure silver of the Word of God, because that's the way in which God speaks. That's the way in which God brings life change. That's the way in which we're delivered from a world of trivia that is what's happening everywhere else. So, God listens. God speaks and God saves. You notice that's how it begins. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For every parent or grandparent that's worried about uh, the difficulty of finding Christian friends, this is a great prayer. I'm worried because there are not a group of Christians immediately right now around little Johnny or whatever. Godly one is gone. Lord, I'm looking to you to save. I can't rely in this situation on the circle of influence. I've got to look to you to do something. That's a wonderful prayer for that situation, isn't it? And here David recognized that God does save, and he asks him to do it. So here's your strategy. You pray, which is what Psalm 12 is encouraging us to do in this situation, because God listens. You are able to trust God to speak, and that is why you bring the pure silver of the Word of God into the life of your children, your grandchildren, whenever you have opportunity. Uh, you get them in a place where they're going to be receiving the Word of God, such as we're committed to in the life of the church. And you can ask of God that He will save, because God reserves the right to move freely, and our God is in heaven and He's able to do whatever He pleases, and those He saves, He keeps. Children, go off to university. Here's someone in Christ, and here's a great promise in verse 7. He will guard us from this generation forever. So, Karen and I have been greatly blessed with the gift of two sons, so grateful that they both love the Lord and have married wonderful women, both of whom our daughters-in-law love the Lord. And now we've been given the wonderful gift of two granddaughters, one on each side of our family. So very, very grateful and so very, very conscious that They are growing up in a world that is significantly different from the world in which we grew up in and even the world in which their parents grew up in. It's changing. It really is. And it may very well be that our granddaughters grow up in a world where there is not the broad Christian consensus that was kindly towards uh, Christian faith in so many ways in past generations throughout the history of this country. I think about that, and here's what I think about that. I want more for them than that they will drift along with some kind of Christian consensus that existed in the past. The kind of Christians who are born off drifting along with the Christian consensus are not people who are on fire for Christ. They're not people who see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. They're not people who say with Paul, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. I'm even ready uh, to be conformed to His likeness in His death and whatever suffering comes my way. I want for my little granddaughters as I begin to think and pray about them for these years that lie ahead of them, that they're going to be people who know and love Christ and are aflame with the life of the Holy Spirit within them. And so I'm going to be praying Psalm 12, which begins with saying, save them, save them bring them to know the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And maybe it will be that precisely because they do not grow up in the general benevolence of a Christian consensus, that they will come to be distinctively different from it. What a vision that is. Maybe we are living in days in which precisely the change will be the means that God will use to ignite new fire in the church. And to raise up a new generation who love Christ in a way that is stronger and more passionate than has been seen in the kindly benevolence of the consensus that has reigned in the past. Oh, God save. Oh, God keep. Are you glad that Psalm 12 is in the Bible? (laughs) Do you think we need a prayer for when we fear for our children and for our grandchildren? God has given it to us.
1: That's a heartfelt and personal reminder from Colin today that if we have children or grandchildren, or if we know family members or friends who have children, we need to be praying for them, especially that they would hear and understand the gospel and come to a place where they accept Jesus for themselves. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And if you've missed any of the present series, which is all about prayer, it's called With Christ in the School of Prayer, then please come to our website, go back, catch up online. It's at openthebible.org.uk. At Open the Bible, we welcome contact with our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pastor Colin Smith's teaching and you'd like to reach out to us, there are several ways you can do that. You can write to us at Open the Bible, P.O. Box 1420, Cheltenham, GL50, 9PG. Or you can phone us on 0330-335-8089. If we're not available when you call, leave a message for us and we'll return your call. All of these contact details are available on our website, openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is supported entirely by our listeners. That's people just like you. And If that's something you're considering, this month we have an offer for you. If you're able to set up a new payment to support the work of Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more, we'll send you a free gift. It's a book called The Christian Manifesto, and it's by Alistair Begg. Colin, how might we benefit from reading this book?
0: Well, The Christian Manifesto sets out what Jesus Christ calls us to – I mean, what are we to be in this world? What are we to promote in this world? What are we to do in this world? What are we for in this world? That's the heart of what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount or in Luke's version. It's called the Sermon in the Plain. And Alistair draws out this teaching of Jesus in a wonderfully winsome And applied way, it's so practical, it's so full of grace, and it's so helpful and so encouraging. At its heart, what we're called to is a life in which we love those with whom we radically disagree, speak with gentleness and kindness at all times to all people, and to focus first on dealing with our own sins rather than with the sins of others. Now, that's very different from much of what we see around us. And yet it's the life that Jesus calls us to pursue. And in pursuing that life... Christians are going to shine like lights in the darkness
1: that's around us so Alistair Begg's book the Christian manifesto is our gift to you if you're able to set up a new payment this month in the amount of five pounds per month or more full details on our website you've been listening to open the bible with pastor Colin Smith I'm David Pick and I very much hope we'll see you again next time The hardest trials aren't necessarily the deepest, but often they're the ones that last the longest. How do you keep praying and not give up when your soul is in agony? Find out next time on Open the Bible.